Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here. Somebody is trying to add me to their hotspot. Let me... Uh... <laughs> All right, on airplane mode, so that'll help. Well, it is good to be here. I am super pumped about this morning, uh, so bear with me if I get too excited and start stuttering or lose my place. Um, but this morning, I wanted to start with a question. Who in the world do you think you are? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fair. That was kind of what I was hoping for, right? It's not a question we typically think of. And when people ask that, that's something that usually rubs us wrong. But I want you to take a moment. And as I read off these questions, I want you to actually kind of process in your own head, how you would answer these questions. Who are you? How would you define yourself? Is it that you're good at your job? Is it that you're super athletic, really good at sports? Is that you're really good at teaching like JT? Is it that you have really heavy eyebrows like yours truly? How would you define yourself? Who would you say you are? Now, as you're thinking through that list, as you're processing that, how high on that list is stating the fact that you're a Christian? The reason I ask these questions, the reason I started off with who in the world do you think you are is because that's what we get to talk about this morning. We get to talk about our identity in Christ, who we are. Our identity defines how we live. What we believe to be true in our heads, it impacts how we respond it impacts how we interact, and it impacts what we reveal to those that we have relationship with. So, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, part B. We are moving along quick here, aren't we? All right, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and read that verse together. Oh, God, you are a good God. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather together with the body of Christ and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and tender hearts to understand. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to just dwell and rest in the truth of your word. Though some things might be challenging or uncomfortable, Lord, that, that we would take those moments and wrestle them out with you. Not because we want to be defiant, but because we desire deeply to know who you are. And Lord, coming to you in dependence, trusting that you will reveal yourself to us. Lord, I, I pray that you would give me boldness to say 
the truth of your word. I, I pray that you would give me humbleness, that this isn't about me. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity of speech. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you and your son will be glorified this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. All right, so Philippians 1.1b. You ready? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So last week, he said, this is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, and we stopped there. Paul started this letter by stating who he was. And now in the second part of the verse, we're seeing him declare who they are, who the church of Philippi is, right? So he says, excuse me, so he says, to the saints and the deacons and the overseers. Now, initially when I read this, um, I thought it was interesting that he said saints and overseers and deacons. As I studied, part of the, like the cool thing was he said saints and deacons and overseers, right? He lumped the deacons and overseers, though recognizing them with the charge and the responsibility that they have to lead the congregation of the church of Philippi, he lumped them in with all the saints. So I just want you to log that back in your head as we start, start diving in to the, this part of the verse here, because it is going to be important as we continue to walk through. Like I said last week, JT uh, really focused in, defined, and helped, helped us all understand better why Paul introducing him and Timothy as a servant was so important. This week, we are also going to be focusing on the one word, and it's the word saint. And I cannot wait to dive into it. But before we do all that, I want to slash we need to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Because with us talking about saints, we need to understand who Christ is, we need to understand what he's done on our behalf, and we need to understand who he declares us to be. Because everything begins and starts with him. Who Christ is is the foundation that we build our entire faith on. So, let's take a minute. We're going to be moving through quite a bit of scripture. I will be reading it. You can follow along. We'll have it on the screens. Just stick with me. Um, but we're going to be walking through just very briefly some characteristics of Christ. Now, this is not all of the characteristics of Christ laid out in scripture. I have children that need to go home and nap. And you guys, I'm sure, all have plans, so we're just going to do a few. Um, but they are important characteristics that, that I want to just have refresh your mind. So, Robert, if you wouldn't mind putting up those slides. So we see that Christ is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when all things are subject, subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things under subjection or things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Hebrews 1.5, for, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Matthew 3.17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. 2 Peter 1.7, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born in him by the majestic glory, This is my son, whom with whom I am well pleased. We see in scripture that Christ is the one who has been elevated to the position, retaining all authority, and he is seated at the right hand of God. John 5, 26 and 27. For as a father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Ephesians 1 20 and 21, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see that he is not only the son of God, but we also see that he's the one who retains all the authority and all power, and he's seated in the place of honor next to the Father. We see that Jesus is our high priest. You can read the book of Hebrews. It states a lot about Christ being our high priest, but here's one. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We see scripture say that Jesus is our brother. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Again in Hebrews 2, 11 and 12, for he who sanctifies and all those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And lastly, we see that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. John 3.29 The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me, clothed me with the garments of salvation and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As the bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. 
And again in Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your, your sons shall marry you. And as your bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God shall rejoice over you. Now again, I know that's a lot of scripture. It's a lot. But I kind of want you to feel a little bit overwhelmed with all of the scripture. Because all of those scriptures are separate, minute declarations of who Christ is. It, it's barely scratching the surface of what scripture reveals to us about the person of Jesus Christ. But it's so important that we understand these characteristics. He's a son of God. He retains all authority. He is our high priest. He calls us brother. He calls us his bride. He, uh, oh boy, I missed one. Either way, these are things that the person of Christ is and kind of getting in to what Christ calls us, right? So it's important that we understand this because again, without understanding who Christ is, the foundation that we build our faith on is weak, correct? So now that we've barely scratched the surface of who the person of Jesus Christ is, what does scripture say about us? Who are we? In Philippians, we see here, Paul say, to all the saints in Philippi. This is a word that is declaring us, declaring to us who we are. This is not a doing word, okay? This is not the condition of our lives, but the identity that we have received. So let's walk through scripture and see what what scripture reveals to us about who we are. We are justified. Which is a big church word that means we've been legally made right. We are righteous. Titus 3 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there's a lot of other references up there. Those were just a few for you guys to investigate after this sermon or with your life groups. Scripture says that we are sanctified, which means we have been set apart as holy, set apart as his. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Scripture also says that we're forgiven. Jeremiah 31, 34. And no longer shall each of you, or each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Scripture says that for those who are in Christ, we have been given a new heart and a new life. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Scripture informs us that we've been transferred from one kingdom to another. 
Colossians 1.3, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. We have been made holy. Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been every, as believers, we have been given everything that pertains to a life of godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and we've been given the fruit of that Spirit. John fourteen twenty six. but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things that bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Scripture calls us his brothers and sisters. Hebrews 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Scripture says that we are his bridegroom. We find that in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. We are his sons and daughters. Romans 8, 16. Galatians 3, 26. And again, these are just a couple references to get you guys started. We are his joy. John 15, 11 and Hebrews 12, 2. That's who scripture declares us to be. So Paul, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, intentionally and specifically calls the believers in Philippi saints. So why? Why? Why does he call believers saints and why is it important? Does being a saint imply everything that we just walked through? And if so, did Paul mean it that way? Are you guys ready to have your mind blown? The word here that Paul uses is Greek. The word is hagios. The definition of hagios means the most holy thing. It is used 229 times in scripture. 161 times is used to say holy. Like Holy Spirit, holy. The holy of holies, right? 
161 times in that context. 61 times that exact same word is used to describe believers, saints. Four times it is used to describe the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Church, saints is an adjective. When we look at it here this morning to all the saints, the word is used to describe the being of someone. It is not used as a proper noun like Saint Peter and Saint Mary. Is used to describe the state of a person that they are the most holy ones. They are set apart by God. Hagios means to be, not to do, to be. The reason that this is so important, church, that it's a being word and not a doing word is because a being word is something that implies rest. A doing word implies action. We are not trying to attain our sainthood. Our sainthood has been declared about us. Paul isn't calling the church in Philippi to do their sainthood better as we are about to see in the weeks ahead. He is opening this letter and greeting and telling them, one, who he is. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And then directly after that, he declares who they are. And he does this, why? So that they know as a church that they are reassured that before an ounce of teaching happens or before a little bit of correction comes, that everything that he is about to say and everything that they do in response flows straight from this to the saints in Christ, to the most holy ones. Now, church, this is the part that blew my mind. The Greek word hagios is the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. So when we read in scripture that we are in Christ and he is in us, that we are described with the same holiness, that's mind-blowing to me. To some, this may sound like old news. (laughs) Duh. To some, this may be super encouraging and exciting. To some, it may feel really uncomfortable. But whatever you find yourself in this moment, I want you to take a breath and just listen to me right now.
to the legalistic saint. Acting out of obligation to do what is right and uphold the law, but failing. That's me, by the way. Believing and resting in your sainthood brings hope. It brings freedom from the self-condemnation. To the anxious, to the anxious saint, functioning out of worry that you may lose control or appear broken, drowning in the chaos, trying to hold it all together. Believing in your sainthood brings rest and freedom from fear. It, being, it brings peace in the unknown and the uncontrolled. To the wayward saint, living practically lifeless <laughs> as you go through the motions, every day wondering what your purpose is, after you've had your entire life of going through the actions, calling yourself a Christian, falling and failing to various idols, believing in your sainthood, in your identity, brings rest to your soul. It brings freedom from your apathy and freedom from your guilt and your shame. And to the new saint, you may still have questions. Guess what? We all do. You may still have struggles in leaving the mastery from your former life. But believing in your sainthood allows you to walk away from the bondage of sin and shame. Because you've been set free, you've been transferred from one kingdom to another. And now you have complete and total freedom to grow in your knowledge and understanding. And fall in love with the vast goodness of Jesus Christ and his good news. To all the saints. Church, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. His perfect love casts out fear. Come to him all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest in him. Abiding in him brings life and rest and peace. That's why it's important to understand what he means by saint. Because guess what? Paul meant every, every bit of what we walked through this morning. You are a brother. You are his joy. You are his pride. You are holy. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are forgiven. You are seated with him in the heavenlies. He is in you and you are in him. He has given you everything that pertains to the life of godliness. 
And that's just scratching the surface of the declarations and the promises that Christ has made to us in his holy word. Church, our identity is not the accumulation of our actions. The accumulation of our actions is our reputation. Our identity is that we who by faith believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior is that we are saints. Our identity is who Christ declares us to be. And the best part is, the reason we started with who the person of Christ is, is because I wanted you guys to all see, it wasn't Tony's words, it's his words, saying that he has all authority to make that declaration. It's not just Tony's cool idea. It's God's. He came, he fulfilled the law. He made a new covenant, became the guarantor of that covenant, and then invited us in. It has nothing to do with you. God is not looking at us from a perspective of what are you doing. He looks at you from a perspective of who are you in. Guess what? If you're born, just a physical birth, you're an atom. You're condemned. If you're born again in Jesus Christ, you're redeemed. You are a saint. Now, that can be a little bit uncomfortable because some may hear that what I'm saying is it doesn't matter what we do. (laughs) It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we have freedom to just do whatever we want. What I am saying is that we are a saint because that's what scripture calls us. What I am saying is that our identity is secure in Christ. Our position is secure in Christ. And having that position that he has given to us comes with these truths that we have been talking about. Now we've been justified, sanctified, forgiven. Now we've been given everything that pertains to the life of godliness. That we have a new heart and a new life. Guess what? The heart he puts in me wants to pursue him and wants to love him. Now do I do that perfectly? No. But that's what I want to do. Because that's the new heart and the new spirit that he's given me. So again, I ask, who are you? Do you believe that you are who Christ declares you to be? Are you a saint? I have a feeling that even after walking through all of the scripture that we have this morning, me reading it, you guys listening to it, that we are still having a hard time with the truth in Scripture to believe, like for it to be all the way true. 
So let's look at it from the other side of the coin. I did a word study on saint. I also did a word study on sin. Sin is used 415 times in the Bible. 308 times in the Old Testament and 107 times in the New. The variations of that word being sinners and sinner are found 68 times. Of those 68 times, 43 of them are found in the New Testament. And guess what? Out of all 43 times, not one single time is sinner or sinners used to describe a believer. Just to give a little bit more evidence that for those who are in Christ have truly been transformed, have truly been moved from one kingdom to another. Church, do you see the beauty in this? Where is Christ? We read earlier, where is Christ? He's seated in the heavenlies. He is our eternal high priest. A high priest can't sit down until the work's been finished. So he's seated in the place of honor, meaning his work's finished. He's been given all authority. And then he makes this declaration about us. Church, we are 100% for those of you For those of us in this room who, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are 100% in Christ. Not 60-40, not 60% in Christ and 40% in the flesh. I am 100% in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is 100% in me through the dwelling of his Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you guys to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To rest in his authoritative declaration of who you are. Now, analogies break down. JT has been clear to point, you know, I mean, they they break down, right? We're human. We understand things as a human. But also as a human, analogies really help me. So, church, today I'm talking about identity. Talking about who we are, right? A lot of the statements I made are very bold. But I want to use this analogy of marriage to help us kind of understand what I'm talking about. Seven years ago, I married Tori. Day one, when JT married us, we were legally bound together before man and before God. We were united as one spirit. That day, I was 100% 
Tori's husband. And I was pumped about it. That being said, day one, guess what? As excited as I was, as chomping at the bit as I was to be her husband, I was a terrible husband. And I say that because seven years in, I've learned a lot. Day one, I was not a good husband because I didn't know what it meant to be a husband. Now, seven years in, by God's grace, I am a much better husband. But guess what? In those seven years, I've had what I would consider great successes. I've also had some atrocious failures and shortcomings. But not once did that change the fact of who I was with Tori. I was always her husband in times of success, in times of failure. Now, as humans, obviously, maybe sometimes she didn't want me to be her husband, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. Analogies break down. That being said, I hope that helps us understand what I'm talking about here. We are saints. That does not mean that in my sainthood, in who I am or who Christ declares me to be, that my actions always reflect that perfectly. I am still growing in my knowledge and understanding. My heart is still being transformed and my mind still renewed in the goodness and the truth of the gospel. I am still learning what it means to be a saint. But that doesn't change what he called me. He called me his most holy one. That's who I am. That's who you are. Now, another analogy. Stick with me. Okay? So we've talked about the identity part. Now I'm going to use me and my son. Hudson is my son. He can't do anything to change it. As much as sometimes he may want to as a four-year-old, you know, he thinks that he's going to change it all. He's my son. There are times where he makes me very, very angry because he does not do things that I would say I've raised my son to do. There are other times he makes me incredibly proud. What Tori and I have noticed in raising our son and teaching our son is that when we sit down and we take the time to tell Hudson who he is, you are my son, I am proud of you, I love it when you serve me or when you serve your mom. I love it. I love it when you're kind to your sister and you're a good brother. When we fill his mind with the things that we desire for him to be, when his mind has been renewed, his actions follow suit. This morning we told him we loved him and I said, I love it when you're a big help to mom. Want to know what he did? Walked into our bathroom and scrubbed our toilet. Why? No idea. But that was serving us. And he wanted to show us that he loved us by scrubbing the toilet. Okay. Thank you. Happy four-year-old. Right? But when we're, when we're sitting there and we're not 
renewing Hudson's mind on who he is, we see the, the degrade pretty quick. We see him go from being a great brother to punching Lily in the head because he didn't want her to come in the room. Wait, no, not allowed. You guys share the room. Like, come on. Not allowed to punch your sister in the face, okay? Yet so often, that's, that's what we do as believers. When we sit and bask and rest in this truth, when we're abiding in the truth that he declares us to be, when we, when we remember who we are when we look in the mirror and our mind has been renewed and our heart is being transformed, do our actions not follow suit? Do we not see the fruit from the spirit that he's given us play out in our lives? Where I become more patient to two twins that are up far too often during the night? Or they play tag where one cries, get them to bed. As soon as we lay down, the next one cries and they just have fun. But I can be more patient with them because when I renew my mind about who Christ calls me, who he says I am, my actions follow suit. When I'm not doing that, when I'm focusing on me and my desires, guess what? Those twins, poor girls, get dad all frustrated. Or my wife gets a, a Tony that's a lot more impatient or functioning in anger. Or people that I talk with get Tony functioning in pride. It's important to understand who we are because our identity defines or dictates how we walk. It defines and dictates our actions. So when we're identifying ourselves with our former self, we are slaves to unrighteousness, or we were formerly slaves to unrighteousness. And our actions follow suit. I start functioning in a sinful manner. When I am reminded of my identity in Christ, my sainthood, when I remember the promises and the declarations he made of me and about me, I walk in life, I walk in righteousness, I walk in truth. So again, you are a saint. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm not saying you're a little God. I'm saying you have God in you because that's what he said. So church, I want you guys to say it with me. And I want you to say it with confidence. I am a saint. Out loud, everybody with me right now. I am a saint. No, come on, say it with conviction. I am a saint. I know it feels awkward because it feels awkward for me too. But that's what scripture says about us. That's why Paul opening this letter declares who they are. He says to all the saints in Philippi and for us as we read it today in our current context to all the saints in Freshwater. It's who we are because Christ, seated in the heavenlies in his position of authority, 
declares that about us. The other thing I'm going to challenge you guys with today is don't take my word for it. I want all of you to go home and study. Crack open your dusty Bibles and start pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. Ask him to reveal himself in his word. Ask him to teach you who he is, but also to remind you who you are in him. Because, guys, it's life-changing. Like earlier, I said I was the legalistic saint. I had all my facades and my routines and my disciplines that looked perfect. I was a man of great reputation. I had all the right answers. I did all the right things. And I felt dead inside. Because I was missing who I was in Christ. Not what I did for Christ. Who I was in Christ. And I think so often in all of our different facets of life, all of our different things that we do, we miss it so often. And we have a hard time then believing that we are saints. And that he's proud to call us that, that we are his joy. Church, I love you. If you would, just go ahead and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for all that you say about yourself and all that you declare about us. Lord, uh, as we worship you again this morning, I pray that we would come to you with hearts of, of thankfulness, of hearts humbled because of your goodness. Lord, I, I pray that this truth would make its home in our hearts, that you would complete your work in us, by transforming us into the image of your son. Lord, as a body, may we continue to point one another toward you because the goodness of the gospel never gets old. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. And I pray that, that we would be reminded of who we are in you. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. In your name, amen.